this is Rabbanit Leah Sarna and Rabbi David Walkenfeld. Welcome to the Straw Hat. We are the official podcast of Anshe Shalom B'nai Israel Congregation, an Orthodox synagogue in the beautiful Lakeview neighborhood of Chicago, Illinois. In this episode, we are turning to the high holidays. There's a lot that people can do in terms of early preparations in order to make these days more meaningful. And so today we'll be talking about what adults can already start doing, how to prepare your children for these days, and how teenagers can start thinking about preparing to make these days as meaningful as possible. We'll round out the episode with an interview with our very own president of Anshe Shalom, Jeremy Treister. I heard you got something really frightening in the mail last week. Oh, yes. I got a terrifying package. It was the Ezra's Torah Luach for the coming year. This is the little booklet which contains all of the information for the liturgical calendar, which uh, what our Torah reading is, what the Haftarah is, special minhagim, customs practices of shul for the year, and the booklet for 5780 arrived in the mail last week, which means that... It's almost 5780. <laughs> yes, which is a terrifying thing to contemplate on many, many levels. Uh, you know, I had kind of a similar experience a few weeks ago in Shul. I heard someone say, have you decided yet whether you're coming to us for second night of Rosh Hashanah? And I was like, second night of Rosh Hashanah. <laughs> um, yeah, so it seems like people are already preparing for the Chagim. And with Tisha B'Av behind us, that's sort of the next big thing. So we thought we would dedicate this episode to preparations for Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. Um, we'll be talking about that in three different parts. So first we'll talk about some ideas about how adults might prepare, and then we'll talk about children, and we'll round up with a conversation about teenagers. Great. So to start off with our conversation about how adults can be preparing for these special days, there's a concept that uh, Rav Salvichik was very famous for pushing called In There can't be holiness without preparation. And the roots for this come in Seder Kadshim, which is all about, uh, which is a section of the Talmud, uh, a sixth of the Talmud, which is all about um, kind of the temple and how every every piece of um, of stuff that was used in the temple and anything that was brought as a sacrifice to the temple, like it all needed to be prepared. And you have to have like intention and foresight um, in every element of the temple functioning. But for our purposes, what we mean is that you can't have a, an experience of holiness without preparation and without really in advance doing some work that will then lead up to that experience. Experiences of holiness rarely just kind of present themselves because you showed up. I want to say even further, so the Vachik felt that it, it never, there, there is no... Um, it's impossible. Objective, yeah. not objective, there's no um, like ontological, things aren't just holy because they are, and that's true for anything. Holiness is a function of human choices and human dedication. That's what creates holiness in all spheres, holiness mm-hmm. of land, holiness of time, um, holiness of objects, right? It's all the product of human dedication, human choices, and human striving. That's what creates holiness in every sphere. So it's uh, um, as a matter of philosophy, as a matter of halakha, in Kedusha there is no holiness without preparation, but I think also he meant that as a matter of like experience and when we strive to attain Kedusha in our religious lives, uh, one can't be naive about how that comes about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so instead of expecting I'll show up in Shul on Rosh Hashanah and it will blow my mind, that is much more likely to happen with adequate preparation for that day. Um, and we have this whole month of Elul, which we're not even all that close to. You know, we have like a couple of weeks before the start of Elul. Um, so if you want to do some kind of practice leading up to Rosh Hashanah, 
the time to do that practice is the month of Elul. And so the time to consider which practice you should choose is now. Um, so some options for that might be some specific um, learning relating to Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. There's all sorts of Jewish texts, halachot, philosophical texts um, relating to these days that we're happy to kind of give some guidance on. If you're looking for something in particular, you should definitely reach out. Um, some people take advantage of um, sort of all the um, mindfulness kind of culture that there is now. You can, uh, there's all these meditation podcasts and things like that. And, and just taking some time to really like be present and, and, and think and, and tap into what you want, like the future year to look like, uh, that might be a good kind of practice to take on during Elul. And then there's also, um, people who find that through Nigun or through, through singing, um, and there's definitely members of our shul who, who gather together to sing, and there's opportunities in shul to come together to sing, um, and we'll be creating some of those before Elul, uh, or before, you know, in the days leading up to Rosh Hashanah But it could well. also be your Elul playlist, right? It can right. be like while you're doing groceries or, right, in between listening to podcasts, you could be listening to um, tracks that are melodies of, of the holidays. I think these are some of the most like evocative melodies mm-hmm. of, of Judaism are some of the melodies associated with uh, Yibim Narim. Definitely. Um, and in Shul, we do some things that prepare for Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. So we say, ori. we add in a, a special psalm at the end of Tefillah. That's an extraordinarily beautiful psalm. And we also blow shofar um, every day in Elul. Um, and Shul will also be saying Slichot, starting a, a week plus before Rosh Hashanah. Um, and that is another great way to kind of add in the extra um, fleeting into the holidays. You know, it's early mornings and late nights for Slichot, but but it also kind of gets you ready for, for the intensity that will be Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. I want to say two levels about how Slichot prepare. One, just technically, Slichot comprise uh, a big chunk of the tefillot we recite on Yom, Kippur. on Yom Kippur night and Kol Nidre and Nila. And so uh, if you have been reciting Slichot up to Rosh Hashanah and between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, then the prayers that are, like you understand the form and the language and the structure of what Slichot are because you've been saying them for weeks. And I think that's a very different than this very odd, different way of praying and reciting prayers and the 13 attributes and we repeat them many times and these poems. What is this? Well, mm-hmm. we've been actually, you know, like it's just, it's not the first time, right? That, uh, mm-hmm. not your first rodeo if you've been saying yeah. Slichot. And also, look, what it's really about, Slichot, are asking God for forgiveness. And I just think that's also something that, um, you know, the broader process of repentance of reaching out to friends and family and neighbors, people whom we have wronged and thinking about our own actions and ways that we're not living up to our highest ideals or ways that we are really proud of that maybe could be reinforced and could mm-hmm. spread to other parts of our lives. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's not something one just uh, wakes up on Yom Kippur morning and, and has clarity about those matters. That also requires a lot of thought and preparation. I think some of the learning that people could do, the studying could be uh, works of tshuva and mm-hmm. repentance and ethical improvement. And some of the preparations can be the conversations with friends and family, the moments of introspection, taking a walk, you know, mm-hmm. whatever, you, whatever it may be to like have those thoughts and come to that clarity. Uh, that, that also, I think, takes a lot of time. Yeah, definitely. And in terms of, I've found almost every year time to journal before um, Rosh Hashanah, like sometime during Elul. And that's been a really um, important part of my practice. Um, and the other thing, I don't get to do this every year, but what the years that I have done it, it's been very helpful, is sometime before Yom Kippur, look at the vidui and make notes next the to confession. each one. Oh. The confession. Yeah, the confession, the long confession of, of you know, but not behaving respectfully to parents and teachers or, um, you know, Lashon uh, Hara, like improper speech or all sorts of things. Um, and, to, you know, notes next to some or all of them of like, 
ways in which I need to confess yeah. um, mm-hmm. from from the past year or, or past years before that. Um, and that makes those moments of confession during Yom Kippur much more powerful when I'm not just saying words, but really tapping into like memories that bring the, 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 the feeling that I try and bring back is a feeling of shame. Mm-hmm. Um, memories that, that make me feel um, make me feel ashamed. Um, and it makes that part of Yom Kippur like, extremely powerful because you walk, you work through those feelings of shame. And then by the end of Yom Kippur, after having said that confession a number of times, you're ready to kind of let go of that feeling of shame. And that's a very, um, that's a very strong feeling for me. There, there are kind of expanded, annotated versions of the Vidui out in publication. There's one version that's printed in the back of the uh, current Sachs Machsor for Yom Kippur. There's another version in the back of the Art Scroll Machsor for Yom Kippur, which takes each of these items in the confession and expands them in ways that are much more... Um, let's say, say for most of us who, who commit more mundane sins, mm-hmm. uh, it's much more relatable, uh, but, yeah. but in a way, in phrase, in a way that can really like drive home the point of, of, uh, of indeed how these are all things that are relevant for our lives. So we all have things to ask forgiveness of, whether of God or of, of other people. Um, and, and another way that actually uh, today, when you're hearing this podcast on Wednesday, um, that we're opening up our high holiday seating request forums. Um, and that's actually, it's worth it to be thoughtful about who you sit next to on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. Um, when I was in seminary, we used to say that the person you sit next to on for Slichot and for Yom Kippur becomes uh, a davening chavruta with you. you. You share this experience and it's a very deep experience to daven intensely next to somebody. Um, and so it's worth kind of the seat request forum isn't just some like com- competition of who gets fancy seats. Not that we have any fancy seats. Um, <laughs> oh, no, no. All our seats. All are our seats are fancy. Every Sorry, seat excuse in me. Shalom is a fancy seat. <laughs> yes, yes. That you know that that great little blue upholstery. Um, but actually, who's going to be a good spiritual partner for me um, in these in these days? And and ev- and actually, even uh, you know, not everyone. Uh, spends all the holidays at, at, at the same shul and which shul you want to go to and how you're balancing the priorities. Like if you're going to be Rosh Hashanah with family, you'll be Yom Kippur maybe here in the neighborhood, not with family, whatever it may be. Like think about that and think about, you know, the relationships you want to promote with family and friends and think about your own spiritual um, agenda that you have for the holidays. Uh, just on a matter of logistics, if you are a member in good standing, that means that either you've paid off your membership for this coming fiscal year at the shul or it means that you've set up a payment plan to uh, be in good standing, then you can request uh, tickets and they'll be provided to you at no extra charge. Um, uh, if you're listening to this and not a member and want to spend the holidays with us, you can. there'll be a time to purchase tickets and that's also, uh, we're happy to have you with us. Uh, if you are a member in good standing at some other synagogue and you're going to be visiting family here, uh, we can provide tickets as sort of a, with, with, with some proof that you're a member someplace else. We try to sort of honor membership at any synagogue for people who want to spend the holidays with us. Yeah. Um, so definitely put Put some thought into where you want to spend the Chagim. Um, and, and on that theme, you know, while, while you're starting to plan, am I going to be with my parents or am I going to be with my whatever, visiting friends somewhere else for some of the Chagim? Um, it, wherever you're going to be, it's, it's actually worth thinking through the logistics pretty far in advance because I've I found that if I don't think through the logistics far enough in advance, then um, I get bogged down in the logistics last minute instead of in the spirituality of it last minute. And so there's even, you know, there, there's some logistics that obviously can't be taken care of all that far in advance. You know, like you try and make up for the time you're missing at work. Well, like sometimes that can't happen until whatever the Sunday is around those mm-hmm. days when you're putting in the yes. extra hours. But um, but some of it, you know, like, you know, you're going to be hosting meals at some point. Um, you could put you could 
could make a chicken now, put it in the freezer, it'll still be good then. Um, I've often made challah, desserts, soup, um, lots of stuff. Just stock the freezer even um, even a month or so in advance, and it really takes the edge off um, those days right before Rosh Hashanah. Uh, and, and Sukkot is the other big uh, mealtime, and, um, and, and it enables me to focus on the, the core part of the day, which obviously food is important, but um, and, and personally cooking is a little bit of a spiritual practice, but... Um, but it, it makes it a little bit less stressful to kind of prepare in advance. But there's some other, uh, just to transition back into the kind of spiritual preparation. So there's another um, kind of spiritual preparation that I started doing almost 10 years ago and, and continue to do every year and that has been really transformative for me, um, which is coming up with a mantra. So what um, can I condense my court fila for the coming year into a couple of words? Um, and then if at any point I'm, there's some piyut that's being said in shul where I'm not connecting to it, what I'll revert to is instead just a repetition of that court fila. Or there's some time where like the... The shalich tibor, the chazan, is is saying something, and you're supposed to be quiet. So, like, what should be going through on in your head uh, while you're supposed to be quiet? Um, and I think that um, without preparation for what should be going on in your head, either you have the energy in that moment to like search for what should be going on in your head, or if it's Yom Kippur, what goes on in your head is I'm really hungry. I'm still really hungry. Could you share just one or two examples of something? What, what, like, what do you mean by mantra? How elaborate? How long? What type of things might somebody choose as his or her mantra for Yom Kippur or Yom Kippur? Sure. So um, one year it was, uh, I was in a very like spiritual place that year. So one year it was, make me holy. Um, another year was, help me be patient. Um, things like that, that, that are really like kind of practical. I can tap into times in the previous year where um, I didn't feel the way I wanted to feel or I wasn't the person who I wanted to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and and there was a very kind of specific transformation that I was looking for within myself in that coming year. And sometimes it's, it, I could imagine it would be things that are, that are more concrete, um, you know, like... Um, Help me, I don't know, for for someone it could be help me educate my child, help me put enough, you know, put food on the table. Sure. Um, Much more concrete things, but things that are are like really, really core to who you are in in this moment. And also having done it a few years, I can can really track like, wow, where where was I that year? Like, Mm -hmm. where was my head at? And and wow, I've changed since then. And and maybe I've actually accomplished some of those goals Um, or those goals don't matter to me anymore, which is also just an interesting thing when you can kind of condense the experience you want to have into just a few words, then it, it stays with you, I think. Um, so that's something that that I have worked on. And the other thing I've worked on is that I think um, Tzkiat Shofar, there's a lot of it on Rosh Hashanah. And so preparing in advance for what you're going to do during Shofar Blast, other than stand up, be quiet, <laughs> um, is worthwhile. Many years I have tapped into the Shofar as like a scream, like a primal kind of prior scream and in my head like screamed along with the shofar uh that's an extremely intense thing to do (laughs) um and uh, not every year i'm not i'm not up for that every year um but there's other it's it's really it's an eight ratzon like it's a time when we feel like the heavens are open to us and especially because that's then also the end of yom kippur right so it's something that you're tapping into all of rosh hashanah and then also at the end of ni'ila to have that that same practice going on that, that kind of all is a lead up to that non-mitzvah shofar shofar blast um that's that's also a practice that i found extremely meaningful but again this like 
Yachana, like it, it needs to, you need to prepare for it. Otherwise you spend the time while the shofar is being blown thinking, what should I be thinking about now? Instead of, I know I prepared for this moment and I know what I want to be davening for right now. Another thing that I have put thought into over the years is just, I've had years of like amazing tefillah. Um, some years in college where I was davening around my best friends and we could, we were kind of like all in it together all year round and also on these days or the year I was in seminary where we like really prepared very intensely for these days. Um, those are some of like the best high holidays experiences um, that I've had. And it, and it, now when I'm not in those environments anymore, I, I'm still able to kind of tap into what was it about those times that that made those tefillah experiences very strong and very powerful? And are there elements of that which with enough preparation I could proactively recreate um, on my own? And I think sometimes, right, like I've been saying this whole time, like you have to prepare, you have to prepare, you have to prepare, but sometimes you actually have these experiences that you didn't prepare for and they were amazing. And so then the question is, how can I prepare to make sure that, that um, those circumstances are, are still exist to cultivate that again? And I... I, I, I like that. I hear that. I also want to I don't know, push back, but also offer your know, yes and mm-hmm. sure. uh, in that, that spirit. Um, I think there is a there are times where our community, you know, broadly, let's say orthodoxy broadly, um, presents the experiences of young people, let's say age eighteen to twenty three, mm-hmm. as being the you peak know, of your the spiritual peak of your, life. Yeah, you're in yeshiva. You're, you're a very like kind of energetic, idealistic college mm-hmm. uh, minion, and like that's what Rosh Hashanah is about. That's what it means to be a you know really serious Jew. And then like you're all you have a job and you have children maybe, and you ha- you know like whatever other responsibilities, and and you're at a more diverse congregation where not everyone is quite in it and singing so robustly, and it's right. So um, that can be very disappointing. And I think there's a value in yes, like what were what was so great about Yom Kippur in Yeshiva or Rosh Hashanah in college that I can take with me and what, what are the elements that can be recreated but also like what do I have in my life like um, so maybe now I'm not uh, praying with like a bunch of like really like energetic and learned mm-hmm. um, uh, peers and classmates and, and teachers but maybe now I, I'm I'm davening for like I should be able to you know have parnasa and be able to support my family and, and maybe I'm I'm striving for some moments of transcendence even though maybe I don't love my job or whatever whatever the struggles are, I think those struggles can be like, you know, channeled, kind of channeled and, and turned back into our spiritual striving and the things mm-hmm. that we're praying for on, on these days. Right. And, and in a sense, right, like now that you're in a place in life where you have like actual responsibilities, right? Like um, there, there's really some very specific rules about who can daven from the Amud on, uh, like who can lead tefillot on, on these days. And, and in most communities, they're not fully observed. And we have all these reasons why we don't observe those rules anymore. But some of them are, you need to have real responsibility. Um, and, and that to say like the height of your tefillah career is at a time in your life where you have no responsibilities <laughs> um, is is very strange and, and kind of antithetical to our tradition. And really, exactly as you're saying, and I love that, the responsibilities that you carry in your life, whether it's paying rent or raising a human being or keeping your relationships with other people healthy or or whatever it is, or, or your own health, um, those those responsibilities should be what we're carrying with us on on these days and 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 should should add to the fervor of our davening that maybe doesn't need to be like almost like manufactured in the mm-hmm. way that that yeah. sometimes yeshiva experiences are so i also want to want to suggest that that people um you know, notwithstanding what we said, that people prepare for the moments where maybe their minds do wander, where the, you know, the chazan picks a melody that you hate, or, or, the, or <laughs> the arcane poetry of that particular piyut is a little bit hard to connect to, and think about what, what decide, really, what you're going to be doing during those downtimes, and I 
just want to implore people to choose something other than chatting with the person next to you. If you want to, if you have something really important to say, like a really important friend you haven't seen or something you need to apologize to for whatever, some offense that you realize as you're standing there. So take them outside and talk to them in the lobby or go outside, take a walk around the block if you need to. But it's so, so valuable to preserve the shul itself for, for tefillah. And, and if you can't pray, so, so read a book. Also uh, because <laughs> a moment that you're not finding yes. meaning in, the person next to you might be. Or might be desperately needing some quiet or some, yeah, exactly, some devotion. So, 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 so think of Turn to a book uh, for those for those moments. Uh, I think the Machzor is a great book. Um, I think if you're not connecting to the text as a prayer at that moment, you can maybe appreciate it as literature, as a poem. Try to unpack the structure, see the commentary printed uh, to that piyut. And, and we're very fortunate to have these Rabbi Sachs Machzorim. Mm-hmm. Really, not many shows are still using these like really outdated, difficult to understand. Like I grew up with the Birnbaum Machzor, and like the English is not; it doesn't lift you up in the way that that the Sachs translation and commentary really do. Yes, I, I absolutely. And 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 the nice and the nice thing about these editions, they have essays in the front and there's commentary in the back. There's lots of material there that one can turn to if at that moment or for some moments that tefillah isn't engaging. Also, I think it's a, I think it's appropriate to uh, to bring a book with you to shul, a shul book for, for several shul books that you bring with you and that you can read. You know, these should be Jewish books, books that, you know, that are, um, that make you feel, you know, if you spend 20 minutes, um, you know, re- you know, reading them, you still feel that you're um, having a Rosh Hashanah, having a Yom Kippur experience, because these are books of of Jewish content and Jewish value. And in that way, you're going from tefillah to your own reading to praying with the congregation to whatever it may be. It's you're still in the moment. You're st- and not, and you're also not taking away from the experience of others. So that's also something that requires some preparation. If you don't bring a book with you, then you know, then you're not going to be able to read a book, you know, during those moments. And maybe yeah. you'll be more tempted to talk to your friends. But if you bring a book with you that you're excited about reading, that um, you're interested in, that, that captures your imagination, then then when you're not in the davening, like really, you know, intensely, then you, you have something else that's also um, not disturbing others and keeps you in the spirit of the day and keeps you there in, in that place. Uh, and and speaking of reading, there's also some reading that people can do before Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur to help get into the feeling of it. So do you want to talk through some options? Sure. So yeah. So again, the Machzor, you know, the, the Machzor that we have with the, the commentary and the introduction by Rabbi Sachs, phenomenal books. And and if you you know pick up a copy before the holidays, you can also familiarize yourselves with the prayers. If you're familiar with our tefillah, mostly from Shabbat or weekdays, like Rosh Hashanah is really different. Yom Kippur is really different. A lot of extra things are thrown into the mix, and uh, and it can catch you by surprise if you don't if you don't know. So I think for all of us, we can benefit um, from just going through the machzor before the holidays and familiarizing ourselves with the prayers and their meaning and what they're about, so that we can really just be in, more in the moment. Um, unless analytic um, at the time of the holiday itself. Uh, Rabbi Sachs actually took all of his introductions from all of the machzorim that he published uh, and put them together in one book. Uh, it's called Ceremony and Celebration. So it's a, I mean, he's such a wonderful essayist. Um, he's really at that genre. He's just phenomenal at, and he's so great at capturing like big themes of the holidays and just presenting it in simple language in a way that's like, oh yeah, of course that's what the holiday is. I remember, mm-hmm. I think, I think your people he says, you know, every moral human being struggles with how, how do you live a moral life without being consumed by guilt? And Yom Kippur is the answer to that question. Oh, yeah, I guess it is, right? Why, <laughs> I think, why couldn't I say that, right? Yeah. Uh, beautiful, right? So so he has like a book of that, of, of that worth of that. It's mm-hmm. called uh, Ceremony and Celebration. It's a great way to prepare for the holidays. Um, two books which I have not read, but which um, both are recommended uh, very highly by people I know and respect. Um, one is 
a book called Rendezvous with God by Rabbi Nathan Laufer. It's published by Corin. Um, also, like sort of taking the entire season of holidays and um, s- explaining how they tell a, a story of the Jewish people's relationship with God and how an individual can um, tap into that story and be inspired by that story. Um, there's a book that's um, also very popular called This Is Real and You Are Completely Unprepared, The Days of Awe as a Journey of Transformation. I think Alan Liu is the author. and uh, We have a copy of it upstairs. We have a copy of it upstairs. Okay, a very popular book. I, I, I think also, I mean, I think the title kind of uh, says what it's about. Yeah. But uh, yeah, like being able to um, use these days, not just as like, hey, I'm in shul a lot of hours these uh, three days of the year, but no, actually this is a chance to uh, to grow as a human being. And I think that's, that's we always want to grow as human Human beings. Um, Rabbi Yitz Greenberg wrote a book um, some decades ago called The Jewish Way, which is the, an account of the Jewish calendar as an exposition of um, like the philosophy of Judaism. What what is the Jewish mission? What is the Jewish way of life? And the ideas that Judaism uh, articulates and introduces to the world and promotes. And the holidays are the um, like the vantage point, the launch pad for Aviyitz to kind of explain like his conception of what Judaism is all about. Uh, and uh, some classic uh, texts, like the Mishnayot of Rosh Hashanah and uh, Yom Kippur, uh, Rosh Hashanah, Mesechet Yuma, uh, are, are um, not terribly long. They're, um, uh, there are four chapters of Mishnayot in Mesechet Rosh Hashanah, so you could... Um, Easily, easily, you know, even somebody who's never studied Mishnah before, if you get a Mishnah with a good translation and some commentary, Kahati, we have copies in the shul, or even like mm-hmm. the English translation of the Mishnah that's on Safaria, or mm-hmm. you can find online, is um, it, it's not, it's accessible to anyone listening to this podcast. Yuma contains a lot of information about the sacrificial rites on Yom Kippur, so it's a little bit more challenging, but the reward is if you know it, then you'll be you'll understand more about the ways in which those sacrificial rites then inform the prayers themselves on Yom Kippur, like the avoda that we say on, on Yom Kippur uh, itself. We've given a lot of suggestions about how adults can prepare for these days, but what about children? Great. So let's talk a little bit about children. And uh, <clears throat> we assume that there are few, if any, children listening to the podcast, but we uh, know that a lot of parents of younger children do listen to the podcast. So this is uh, how adults who are parents of children can help those children prepare for the holidays. So many of these ideas come from Rabbi Goldman's, who um, has a regular column or had a regular column uh, in the OU we- uh, magazine and on the OU website. He's an educator based in the New York area. I believe he's currently uh, teaching at Mayanote, which is a yeshiva high school in, uh, in Teaneck, New Jersey. Uh, and uh, I think he has really, a, over the course of his essays, I mean, I've shared them in other venues before, I think uh, so many of his essays have really inspired ideas for how uh, parents who love Judaism can be effective at transmitting that love and transmitting our commitments uh, to our children. Um, so, yeah, so, so that is when at the outset, many of these ideas are his, and I encourage people to find his writings uh, on the OU website and other places where you can find them, and I think it's very worth, uh, worth taking to heart. Sure. So um, the first thing that I would suggest is just talking to your children about these days, um, talking to them about it in advance, telling them which filot are important to you and why, which melodies move you, um, introducing them to those melodies, um, and talking about how excited you are to sing them in shul. Um, I was saying to you before that um, some of my strongest childhood memories are the feelings of my parents on those days mm-hmm. um, and that growing up davening next to my mom, A, really taught me how to daven, but B, we, uh, I was saying this kind of about adults earlier about seat selection and who do you daven next to you, but, but really um, with your children, your children are davening next to you and, and they can grow up to be 
like almost you're adopting Chavruta. And that, that's definitely something that, that growing up I developed with my mom. It's one of the reasons why my parents come here for Shana so that my mom and I can dive in next to each other um, because that has for my whole life been a very important part of these days and that our tefillah kind of, once upon a time that was kind of unidirectional of her tefillah inspiring me, but now I think it kind of goes, goes both ways. That's really, that's really special. So I, I, in addition to um, sharing with your children the specific tefillot that move you and telling them which melodies, uh, again, touch you, inspire you, invoke memories of your own parents and grandparents, uh, etc., also, also explain to them the choreography, the pageantry of, of these days. Uh, you know, I, I have very strong memories as a child of, you know, we were not big shulgoers, but we did go on Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur, and so did like all of New York City, and just the, uh, um, I, I felt really special just to be out and about and to see all these other Jewish people wearing their yantif clothes, um, traveling to and from shul, sometimes in taxis, uh, sometimes on foot, and just seeing the whole city transformed by this like visible presence of so many Jews in our yantif clothing out and about on the holidays. Like there was a, uh, that was really different. That's the pageantry of the holiday. Like the, you know, I think that's, um, you know, we, we don't, you know, our, our neighborhood is not quite as Jewish, but the the shuls are filled, and there's something very. Uh, that's the pageantry of the day. That's the gimima no right in the days of awe that like people come out of the woodwork and they want to be uh, in a shul. And when you leave our shul and you walk up the street, you see people coming out of the other congregations in the neighborhood as well. And and there was a little bit of that experience of just walking about our neighborhood and seeing so many people uh, celebrating Rosh Hashanah and within our shul. The moments when uh, when people, the, the hushed silence before the first shofar blast each year, uh, the anticipation of Kol Nidre, well, we have a, you know, uh, the, the, the beautiful voice of the chazan and and every seat uh, filled with a person upstairs and downstairs and just that 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 anticipation and beautiful melody uh, that wafts through through our through our shul. Uh, the final moments of Yom Kippur where everyone cries out Hashem Hu Elokim, the Lord is God, like in that that excitement, the excitement of we're about to eat soon, the excitement of uh, the Torah promises that we've been forgiven our sins at this moment and, and our own uh, fervor and inspiration as after uh, 25 hours of fasting and introspection and hours in shul that we can really, yeah, like acknowledge God as our king and 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 accept that um, those commitments. So that's, that's the pageantry. That's the drama of the day. Tell your kids about it. Tell your kids this is going to happen at this moment. This is what um, excites me. This is what moves me. This is what our community comes together to do together and, and then and, and try to um, bring your kids with you and have them be next to you for uh, for those moments, not just to hear about it, but then to experience it with you. And I think also that there's certain embodied elements of these days and the tefillah in these days that um, that we don't really get the rest of the year. Um, and like for example, the during the confession, during the vidui, when you strike your chest, like that's a that's a really strong um, motion or bowing down to the ground for on, during Alinu and during um, the avoda and Yom Kippur. Um, some of those motions are actually what I remember the most from my childhood, and there are things that I think you could teach children because movement and, and embodiedness are are um are strong um teaching tools yeah yeah and and point out the other people who inspire you that you know i think we're really lucky we have a diverse community uh in many ways including in age and i think there's something i think it's really important i think old people should be in shul with young people and young people should be in shul with old people and to uh i find that very you know that the 
the the uh, elderly members of our community to see them uh, bow uh, for for the vote right that that's mm-hmm. and all along with everyone else that that moment of submission that moment of devotion that moment of reenacting what Yom Kippur was like in the Beit Hamikdash I think that's a very powerful moment and to point out like be explicit like you know. Look at uh, so and so. Look, look at look at so and so. Look at these people, young and old, and our friends, our neighbors, all of us doing this together. Um, uh, look how that person over there seems to be crying uh, while while she's praying. I think that, I think to um, include our children in the things that we're noticing and that inspire us. I think is like that's what it means to be a parent uh, during these days. In in that vein, like that that's it's really only a parent can can provide that. I think. Uh, uh, for all the information and the content and the literacy that our um, children's schooling can provide, I think only a parent can have that really authenticity to say, um, like, this moves me. This is what inspires my commitment to Judaism is uh, seeing, you know, diving next to Mr. Schwartz or mm-hmm. seeing the Shulfield or having the entire congregation sing together uh, at Nila, right? This is what it's about for me. This is what uh, I remember from my grandparents, from my parents, from uh, my older sister, from whatever, it might, you know, that only a parent can share those types of memories and and in, like include a child in those types of experiences. Uh, schools can provide information. Hopefully, schools can inculcate love of Judaism as well mm-hmm. and excitement about Judaism. Uh, but I think there's still a very, very important role for parents to really like invite children to share the commitments that inspire us and that move us. And uh, also yeah. because schools are doing some of the preparation, but day of. Your kids are here. Like they're not in school, Um, and so some of that is certainly um, the job of our youth department in terms of running an awesome Camp Shana Tova. But one of the things that we've noticed over the years as a struggle is the transition actually out of Camp Shana Tova and back into Shul. And how do we teach kids what it means to be an adult on these days? We're pretty good at what it means to be a kid (laughs) on these days. No, they got it. It's it's a huge it's a huge um, success of this Shul that we're we're pretty good at what it means to be a kid on these days. But but how do we transition from youth to adulthood and 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 the only model that your kid for most people that the only model of adulthood on these days that kids are getting is whatever they glean from their parents um and so the more explicit especially people with kids who are old enough to really be forming show memories um it, it the more explicit you can be about this part of show is very important to me maybe i'm gonna go um grab you from the J for, you know, in advance of this part. And it's about going to be about this time. And I know where to find you and, and we're going to go. Cause I want to show this to you uh, because it's important to me to, to show it to you and that we experience it together. And then, then you'll go back to being a kid, but give them like a glimpse of what your adulthood is like. So that they feel like excited to grow out of Camp Shana Tova and come into Shul and be with you for the whole of the day and not just glimpses here and there of the important bits. Yeah, and we're really trying to make, you know, to accommodate those types of moments on our part, our, our end in running Camp Yes, you can you can claim your child for 20 minutes or for 10 minutes if you want them to be sure to hear shofar blowing or be sure to be next to you for Tanatokef or for the Avoda on Yom Kippur to bow with you. Like we, we can accommodate that. We we want to accommodate that and we encourage you before the holiday to look through the machzor and decide what moments you want to have your children with you and then to tell your children what moments you want them with you and mm-hmm. why you want them with you for those moments. And then uh, we can implement that and we can cooperate in, in, in making that possible. Yeah, and, and maybe it's a negotiation, like your kid doesn't want to leave this part of Camp Shana <laughs> So, okay, so what other part can you, are you more happy to leave from to be in Shul with me for, for this part that's important? Or first day of Rosh Hashanah, you'll be with me for this part. And second day of Rosh Hashanah, you'll be with, you know, your spouse for the other part. And um, to really to really make a plan of how to, how to give your 
your kids' shul experiences um, on these days because, yes, of course, some of the point of our youth programming is that adults can have shul experiences on these days, but that transition into adulthood is actually, um, we're, we're seeing that as a big challenge and um, and we're invested uh, this year and every year in, in trying to, to bridge that gap. Right. And it's not just in shul, though, that we have, and during the shul times when we are um, parenting our children and responsible for them. Also, outside of shul, um, Rosh Hashanah, half the day is not in shul. We we have uh, festive holiday meals, and uh, I think we can also think proactively about how to make uh, those meals particularly festive and enjoyable, and uh, and building special memories for our uh, our children. So there's a custom to have simanim to eat symbolic foods that evoke. Uh, uh, good omens for the coming year, or bad omens for enemies for the coming year, and uh, uh, it's a fun moment. It's a lighthearted moment. I think uh, the point is that we should just be in a good mood and upbeat as the year begins. Uh, I think there can also be uh, a way to spark conversations up between generations among the people gathered around at a table about our hopes for the year and things that we are, are trying to build uh, in the year that comes. Again, like that's you know, if you're at the stage where. Uh, parenting is uh, changing diapers of an infant or chasing a toddler around the room, so you're not going to have uh, uh, the conversation is going to be necessarily different. But even uh, <laughs> toddlers can, can can are forming memories and that they experience joy and love uh, and warmth from their family and from their community. I think that that is a foundation that's that's worth building. And as kids get older, in a way that's age appropriate for their uh, attention span and for their sophistication of their thinking, I, they should be included in the holiday conversations. See, my name is a, it's a very because it's. So, uh, tactile, and tactile tangible. and tangible and edible, right? They edible. can really uh, ingest uh, some of those messages, and those are that really can spark really great conversations. Again, older people and younger people at the same table can be sharing their hopes for the year. Yom Kippur, there's a custom of a more elaborate blessing that parents can give their children before the holiday begins. Many parents bless their children. Uh, before Shabbat um, or at Friday night dinner each week uh, on Yom Kippur, those blessings take place before Kol Nidre, uh, and there are versions of that blessing which are a little bit more elaborate, where we, uh, where the liturgy suggests more elaborate and developed and explicit hopes for the year. Of course, you can say your own hopes, and 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 you can share them with your child. Like this is my prayer for you. This is my blessing for you. And for our relationship for this coming year, I think that's a way, what a special way for our children to go into Yom Kippur, the holiest day of the year, the most special day of the year, knowing they have the love of their parents, knowing their parents believe in them, are proud of them, um, uh, forgive them, uh, apologize to them, and, and to have those kinds of special moments leading into the holiday, I think can uh, can make the holiday sacred for us and for them. So 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 carve out those times. Have your pre-Yom Kippur meal be a great food that you that's going to sustain you for a fast and will make your kids feel happy and, and special for eating things that they love. Um, and and then ha- take but take that moment before rushing off to shul to uh, to give them a blessing to to say a prayer on their behalf and to let them know what it is that you're hoping for them. And as kids grow up, as we mentioned, they become more and more sophisticated. Um, and our most sophisticated kids in our show are, are obviously our teenagers. Um, Yom Kippur, Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur really can be very tough uh, for teens. I, I often think that tefillah in general, it's a muscle. The more you exercise it, the easier it is. Um, but also that it's that it's hard. And especially um, the beginning is hard. And learning how to do it is is very, very hard. It's like trying to get in shape when you're completely out of shape. But with the or, with that framing, you kind of have, you can have your eyes on the prize a little bit. And so even though being a teen who's just starting to learn about and form experiences and, and memories of these tefillot, um, it, that, that's a really 
really hard time. Like just it's a really hard uh, time to be in shul because you have to do a lot of heavy lifting um, as a teen, and and that's a big responsibility and a lot of work. Um, but it, I, I feel that with with this orientation of there's kind of like a prize at the end. Um, it, it can help, and and I feel like for parents talking about what what that kind of reward is at the end of the day, um, it can be can be very helpful um, in terms of making the hard work feel worthwhile. Um, so that's kind of one thing that I would recommend in terms of just a framing for teenagers of like acknowledge like yeah it's super hard right getting into shape when you're completely out of shape is 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 really painful like literally painful um, and yet. Talk about the payoff. Talk about how these days sustain your year. Um, and hopefully that will provide some guidance in terms of working towards um, spiritual fitness. Great, great. And on a cognitive level as well, an intellectual level as well, um, teens, like adults, you ask a lot of questions about the actual tefillot, the words that we say. They, you know, Teens, too, can look at a machzor uh, before the holiday begins to see how it's different from the structure but some way similar built on the structure they know from Shabbat or weekdays and how it's different and builds upon it, et cetera. And then, again, what are the questions uh, that arise for them noticing the differences of how this day, these days, are, you know, right? How is, uh, uh, you know, not why is this night different from all other nights, but how is this, uh, how are these days different from, from, all, from all other days? And they should ask the people around them, their parents and their uh, older siblings, their teachers, um, Even your friends, right? That's a good thing to talk about with friends on this day. Um, and sometimes it's really like, I was teaching a, a convert a few years ago, and she, I asked her to look through the machzor in advance of these days, um, and and she was right also new to this uh, to these fields, and she she just had the most kind of even the most basic questions that I hadn't thought about in years. Why why is it so repetitive? Like why mm-hmm. is this entire tefillah structured around like five words where you like re- replace the middle one in each <laughs> one? Like what is the purpose of that? And 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 those are really important questions for adults and scenes to kind of think through and and the only way to come to connect with this these tefillot are by dealing head-on with with those questions about the why of the liturgy great that's an advantage that teens have that's still uh, like like your conversion candidate that it's a it's a fresher perspective it's not jaded then it's not rote it's it's new and and so that's a great opportunity to ask questions and research answers seek out answers and then uh, hopefully come to a greater appreciation and understanding of the words that we say um, yeah, the other the other suggestion that I want to put forward for teens is actually our shul has the great privilege of having two different minyanim that meet on these days, um, and the the earlier minyan goes a little bit faster, moves along a little bit. Your day is over a little bit quicker, um, and it it's not it's not crazy to consider encouraging a teenager to go to the hashkama minyan. Encouraging a teen to wake up early sounds a little bit crazy, but 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 actually the payoff is they can nap in the afternoon, or they ha- or they have more of their day uh, to be with friends, or to read, or to relax, and to be on their own time and also have a real authentic, full prayer experience, just a little bit faster, a little bit more efficient. You know, it's a smaller room downstairs, so it takes less time for the Torah to be brought mm-hmm. out and brought back, and there's no, there's no there's long sermon. sermon. Right. So it's just a more efficient, uh, less pomp and circumstance kind of tefillah, but with great prayer leaders and with, you know, members of the congregation who are there praying with you and leading. And um, uh, I, I think for for anyone, but but especially for teens who find the the, the long the length of um, high holiday tefillah to be um, a challenge, this is a great way to 
have a substantially shorter tefillah, but without skipping any of the parts. Right, exactly. And if you want to be working with us in our youth programming, um, that that is another way to get in a lot of tefillah and also um, work in our youth programming would be to to go to the Hashem Minyan. And and a final suggestion for teens, like we suggested for adults, bring a book with you to shul for when you uh, get a little bit tired of singing that same uh, song to the same piyut or uh, something seems to be dragging on a little bit too long for your attention span, uh, to have a Jewish book that allows you not to disturb other people because you're not going to be talking. You'll just be in your book, and the book hopefully can be enriching and inspiring. Uh, there's a whole series of books, The Magid Says, Tales of the Magid, which mm-hmm. uh, uh, several generations of my family have have enjoyed uh, reading uh, on Shabbat and on holidays, and I think that could be an appropriate shul book. But really, uh, uh, there's you know countless other others, and, and but that, again, requires thinking through in advance, like how can I um, be in shul on these days for sizable amounts of time, uh, as my parents want me to, as, as, as maybe I want to as well, but without um, going out of my mind with boredom or um, distracting other people around me by talking to, to my neighbors. And what book can I bring with me that will still be appropriate for the, fe- for the themes of the day and also um, you know, capture my attention when the tefillah might not. Yeah, and I think just as as we started out at the beginning of this podcast, these these are tough. They're hard because you're trying to achieve something that's really, really good. And the only way to achieve really, really good things is through hard work and preparation. Um, and that applies to people of every single age, um, adults, kids, teens, everyone. Um, but owning that it's hard helps us to actually get there, right? Instead of saying, oh, that's so transformative. Like, how exactly are you going to be transformed by these days? Well, you're going to be transformed by these days by putting in the work even already now um, in order to make them transformative. So we're here today in Shlensky Studios with our very own president of the show, Jeremy Treister. Welcome. I'm thrilled to be here. Yeah, I, I think you've been a fan of this podcast from the beginning, right? <laughs> Definitely. I share it widely and listen to it every week. Oh, thanks. comes out every other week, you know. But anyways, so um, as I mentioned to you, this is kind of a High Holidays-themed episode, um, and you had some thoughts about kind of the administration of the show and how we've dealt with the High Holidays differently over the years. Why don't you tell our listeners about that? Well, even the synagogue office, and it's funny because a lot of people get emails from from Steve and Haley in the office, but, but very few people have ever met either of them, unless like they're at the summer soiree or during the week, middle of the day, because usually for morning minion, they're not here, and afternoon minion, often not either. Um, but so much happens in the office uh, related to getting ready for the holidays, uh, getting the dues notices out, uh, collecting the dues, getting the, the tickets for the Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur. It used to be a very manual process, and over the years, just by getting better systems in place and having Shul Cloud, which is a you know, software as a service cloud system, um, it's just improved that whole part of their operations tremendously. Yeah, so how who kind of makes those decisions? Who decided we should be on Shul Cloud? Like, how does the back end of the Shul sort of work? Well, if you go way back when to when I was treasurer in the late 90s, we selected a different system. This was way before the idea of a cloud-based application was even available. We put a system in place to replace basically uh, a bunch of spreadsheets. And that, that was a great interim solution. But at that point in time as a treasurer, I kind of did a bit of an RFP along with the office staff. The office staff wasn't as strong at that point in time. Mm. Uh, let's put it that way. <laughs> and um, just a, a small group of us looked and talked to different synagogues and what they were using and made a selection that way. And uh, now it's, it's a much more professionally run operation here. So uh, a lot of those kind of decisions will actually happen with, with the office staff itself 
kind of consulting with me for certain things, maybe the, the treasurer for certain things. It kind of depends what the thing is. So you've been on the executive committee for many, many years as treasurer and as vice president of the house and now as president. Yeah. Um, what kind of changes have you seen in the show over all that time? Uh, the biggest change that I've seen is, in my role as president especially, is I've seen more and more people wanting to get involved. Like, more and more members who actually want to come to board meetings who aren't even on the board. Uh, people getting involved in the work of committees uh, to make positive changes for our community here. We're, we're getting uh, younger members, and of all ages really, but people of all demographics wanting to get involved, be participating on the board, and help be part of guiding the direction of what we're doing here. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned to me before that that's kind of one of the major goals of your presidency is that work of connecting people into volunteer opportunities with the show. Yeah, the best thing is just to, to see lots of people basically developing leadership skills, either bringing in you know what they do professionally to the synagogue or working on things that they don't get to do professionally that they can maybe help them grow in other ways. Uh, I think there's a lot of different reasons that, that motivate people to get involved in synagogue politics and uh, <laughs> operations, and uh, uh, it's great to see people who just want to, want to help. How did you first decide to get involved in the Shul's leadership? Actually, when my wife Rachel and I joined uh, in, I think, 94, 95, uh, the community was quite small, mm-hmm. and anyone, anyone here who was kind of a regular attendee of services and had an opinion about anything was often invited to get involved. And that was before you guys had any kids or anything, right? That's right. Wow. So you had time on your hands, I guess. <laughs> True. And then now you've been president for the last three years? Three and a half years. Three and a half yeah. years. Um, rounding out your term, what have been some of the big wins of your presidency so far? Um, there's been a few things that maybe not even even has heard about. Uh, we had... Um, and this was actually in the news recently, some, some kind of almost embarrassing uh, article about the condition of some cemeteries on the south side mm-hmm. in, Hyde, in Hyde Park at Oakwood Cemetery. And actually, our cemetery looks good. There's another cemetery next to it that's not Andre Shalom's. Uh, it's not our asset at all or liability, whatever you want to call it. Um, we actually have some, some people whose ancestors are buried in our cemetery, and for many years they've been coming to visit the cemetery and I became aware of this as president that they were complaining about the condition of the cemetery and I decided to reach out to them and see you know what we could do to work together and without even asking they gave us a very significant donation to help us redo major parts so we we brought earth moving equipment and all this stuff and there's a bunch of pictures about it It was shared when, when it was first done but that was like one example of something where People, everyone was just complaining about it, but actually nobody really had quite a solution. But so the person who's complaining, I just asked them, "What do you, you know? Here's our issue: we have this cemetery, and we have no members here who have any anyone buried there that they know of. So that that's why it's been kind of neglected. So we we do the minimum necessary to to mow the lawn and remove the weeds, but it's been hard to really keep it maintained." I said, "Well, we have people buried there that are very important to us, and interestingly enough, it's it's uh, the Lemon Broom Company, which is in Southern Illinois." And the, I guess Chicago was the the genesis of the whole broom industry, I guess, at some point in time. And it was a big industry here. And uh, Libman continues as like a USA-made company, and it's still in the state of Illinois, just not in Chicago anymore. So that was one example. Um, 
I heard the coffee station was it was your promise. Well, that was also. a cam- oh, so the coffee station was actually a campaign promise. Ah, <laughs> looks so, like you came through. <laughs> so I, I said, if you know, if 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 if, if you vote me in as president, we're going to have a coffee bar here. And uh, I was trying to kind of be cute about it because I wanted people to. Just, it was just a way. I actually, it's one more way, sort of building community because people come come to have coffee together, and it's not people necessarily that always talk talk all the time and it's always almost like a water cooler in a traditional office environment people come <laughs> at certain times uh you know during services and have coffee and it's kind of a nice thing so it helps build community in a different way the other thing i'm really excited about is it's been whispered into my ear for years before i was president even that we need to figure out a way to significantly renovate this building yeah. tear it down rebuild it renovate it whatever and i've been talking about it as long as i was president i've just been talking about it with people and sort of almost like out of nowhere, um, some some major donors come out and said we want to we want to commit money to this to this cause. So um, I'm I'm hoping that you know in a year from now we're going to be talking about when the construction date is starting after wow. holidays. So we'll see. But that, that's another thing that I'm very excited about. Um, you know that 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 I've personally been involved with. That's great. I mean, those are some really huge things. So I hope you feel really proud of what you've accomplished in the last three and a half years. And are we still looking for a new president-elect? Do we have someone? Should our listeners be thinking, could I be the president-elect? As my wife has told me, it really is an issue, but it's not my issue. (laughs) Yeah, it is actually, uh, um, it it is a bit of an issue. Um, I, I think the nominating committee has identified somebody to be sort of an interim president only committing to two two year term mm-hmm. while um the next president who may commit to two to four years will come in as president elect in a year from now so that's gotcha. the current thought process but um if you have any great ideas um reach out to me reach out to the nominating committee yeah the nominating committee information about that's been in the bulletin for a few weeks already yeah so oh, that's one more thing that i that i've really really tried hard to do. I, I heard feedback that the board meetings were secret, that nobody knew who was in charge of things. Mm. And one of the things I, 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 I did as president also is we started putting the board meeting minutes all online. Mm. So they're, 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 if you're a member, you can log into the site, you can see the meeting minutes. And um, it's actually encouraged people to ask questions and come and participate. Yeah, all of that's really awesome. So um, if one of our listeners for whatever reason, doesn't know who you are yet. Maybe they're never in show for announcements or something like that. Uh, where would they find you? How could they meet you? How could they get involved in some of the work that you're doing? Well, I am often away on, over Shabbat during the summer. Um, but when I am here, I'm in the middle section, sort of midway towards the back between where the reading table is and the back of the room. Mm-hmm. And usually some kind of cool pattern kind of shirt thing. I don't have any white shirts. <laughs> Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming in um, and taking the time to join us and, and share some of your thoughts about the show. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Straw Hat. As always, we are so grateful to our producer, Haley Leventhal, for all of the hard work she puts into making these episodes possible. If you have positive feedback, we're happy to receive that by email, voice note, in person, any way that you feel good about. And if you have negative feedback, we will take that through Shofar Blasts. You can sound it out through the blasts of a shofar. Have a wonderful week. Thank you again for listening.